Welcome, welcome. Hey, so glad to have you here at Element City Church, or maybe you're at home tuning in online. We are thrilled to welcome you here and have you in the house or from your house. Um, Y'all have a good Thanksgiving. All right, uh, it's always the big debate. How many of you had something different than turkey? Okay, a few hands, a few hands. So uh, I, we, we, we did the, the turkey on the smoker, and it turned out wonderful. I'm just taking a minute to, to savor the taste that I'm still sampling because we have leftovers. So, uh, but glad to have you here. We're thrilled to kind of, we're ending up our first and second Thessalonians series tonight. Lyle will be leading us in that. We're going to worship here for a little bit and then we'll end with a worship song. So if you're new, uh, that's kind of what you, you can expect over the next hour, 10 minutes or so. We're thrilled that you're here. So a couple quick things. If you happen to be new, we'd love to invite you to fill out our connection card, whether you're here in the room or maybe at home. You can do that in a couple different ways. You can either open up our our app that you can download for free, uh, Element City Church in your app store. If you just go grab that and you like two tiles down is a connection card, you can take you through a couple quick texts and that'll let us walk beside you in the next uh, three, four, five weeks. Uh, it's our way of just kind of helping you get connected. We know it's hard to connect to a new place. Or you can text the word hello to our text number, which is 520-340-6868. And here's the blessing in this. That number is now our phone number, too. So 520-340-6868 is now a functioning phone number. So if you need anything, you can call or text that. You can leave a message. We'll get back to you if we don't answer right away. But we'd love to invite you uh, to to know that, be a part of that. And um, just grateful for now through Christmas. we got a lot of things happening. In a few weeks, uh, you're going to hear us talking about the cookies and cocoa afterwards. We'll talk about that at the end. Uh, But tonight, I'm going to invite us to, if you're in the house, to stand up right where you're at. We're going to pray for the church of the week. We do this every week. Uh, we know it takes not just Element City Church, but the church uh, to reach. we got probably 900 plus thousand people in the city and uh, south, southern Arizona that aren't connected into any faith community. And so it's bigger than our church. And then we want to pray for Redeem Life Bible Church and Pastor Lamar Lovett, uh, who you will meet next week. So don't miss next week. Uh, we got a special message, and Lamar will be here, and we're excited to be part of a blessing of their launch. They're a brand new church launch that's getting ready to go. They have a soft launch going right now, and January 8 is their first official Sunday. And so we're praying for them, and we're going to pray for them next week also, but you'll get to meet Lamar next week. So excited for that. So would you pray with me? We'll get started with worship. Uh, glad to have Dan here helping us out. So, Father, we are grateful um, for the opportunity to gather as your church. And God, we pray for Redeem Life Bible Church, Pastor Lamar and his wife, Yvette, and their team as they are kind of getting launched here. We're excited that, um, God, what you're doing in and through their church to reach people. Lamar's been a a pastor in in this city for lots and lots of years. And so we're just asking that you would put your blessing upon them and upon their team, their elders. God, just the resources that they need. Thanks that we get to be a small part of that. Uh, God, we just ask that you would supply their needs, that you'd meet them, that you'd use them to leverage for your kingdom's sake. The friends and the family that they know, the people that are walking in their sphere of influence. God, would you use them to reach this city for you? And God, we pray that same for us. We want to be a church that continues to reach people who aren't here yet, people that are friends of ours, neighbors of ours, co-workers of ours. God, we pray that you would continue to lead us to have a heart and a passion to reach people, a people that you're searching for to connect with. And God, as we worship tonight, we just want to tell you thanks again. 
As we celebrate this Thanksgiving weekend, we're grateful for your goodness. We just lean into it. God, you are a God who is for us. You're not against us. And so, Father, tonight, would you allow us to lean in and worship as we look into your word that you maybe whisper something fresh and refreshing to us. God, we ask that in our time together that we would leave here better because we have met with you. We pray that in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. Glory, there is a God who saves. 
tonight that we would find peace holidays can bring stress and anxiety and the gathering of family isn't always easy so God would you be still our hearts God would you bring into focus what you would have us take away from tonight that the distractions that that plagued us outside these doors, God, that they would just fade away. God, we lift up Lyle tonight. We pray that you will use him in a mighty way to challenge us in your word. That we might leave tonight with a, a new resolve to walk closer to you, to give more of ourselves to you. Like Jack said, beginning of service, it's a week of being grateful. And God, we are grateful to gather here tonight to be able to sing your praise, to be able to sit and, and uh, listen to the word. God, we pray to be challenged. So God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this gathering. How would you have your way? It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good evening. If you haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Lyle. I'm one of the pastors here at Elements. And uh, I hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. How's Thanksgiving for you all? All right, some of you had the good one. Good, Dan, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear yours was great. Um, it, yeah, how many of you had to make last-minute changes to your Thanksgiving on multiple occasions? Not many, okay. Like, my plans had to change three times because of family sickness up in Phoenix, and uh, so and it, it, it meant we stayed down here, which was good. Uh, so we were grateful to have a, our first Thanksgiving in our home and uh, have some people from the church over for that as well. So it was really good. Um, yeah. And can you believe it? It's been 11 weeks since we started the current series that we're in right now uh, called Living Hope. We're going through the books of First and Second Thessalonians, and tonight we're coming to the end. So we're finally here. We're at the end of Second Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be uh, closing it out tonight, and then next week Jack's coming back with a standalone message. Uh, more to come on what that's going to be about. Any previews back there, Jack? Anything? There you go. See? Right on. Ideas already percolating back there. So uh, Jack will be taking us through that, and then we'll be going through our Christmas series as we gear up for Christmas Eve. So, um, yeah, thanks for being here with us tonight. Thanks for worshiping with us tonight. Uh, since we're kind of at the end uh, of this book uh, study, I wanted to kind of go over the context one more time. Uh, it's been 11 weeks since we started talking about the Thessalonian church, and so as we wrap it up, I just wanted to take it back to the beginning to remember why was Paul writing these two letters in the first place? Uh, let's reset 
set kind of the table uh, so that we can see how it is that Paul is closing it out uh, in his letter. And so uh, I didn't title this the five-minute nerd out. I'm sorry for those of you who are offended and brought your hats. I'm sorry, Mark. You'll get over it. So... Um, but anyway, here's kind of your context. It's kind of a, a five-minute nerd out, if you will. So uh, once again, the church in Thessalonica was started by Paul with the help of Silas and Timothy. And we know this uh, because it's actually recorded in history. We have historical documents. There's this doctor whose name is Luke. And Luke used to travel around, and he would write about the things he saw, and he would write letters to his friend Theophilus. And so we have a letter called the Book of Acts that's in the New Testament. And in Acts 17, Luke actually records the story of how Paul ended up in Thessalonica and how they planted the church. And in fact, when they got there, uh, they got some pretty violent opposition from uh, some of the Jewish Thessalonians that were there in the city. And so if you remember back, gosh, it was two months ago now, uh, when we talked about uh, why the, the Jewish people were upset, it was really because Thessalonica, which is the second largest city even to this day in Greece, uh, Thessalonica was a port town, but it also was right on a perfect trade route where people could walk uh, along this road that would take them and connect them to, um, to the eastern part of Europe and into Asia. And so uh, it was a free city. Uh, during some civil wars that took place uh, while Rome was kind of the, the main group in charge of everything in that area, the city of Thessalonica actually stayed loyal to the Caesar. And because of their loyalty to the Caesar, at the end of this war, they were given a tax exemption status. They were given this status as a free city. And so being a free city is a big deal. It was, it was really a good thing. And if you know anything about the Roman Empire, uh, Caesar was okay for you to worship whomever you wanted to, so long as you would always say, Caesar is Lord. That's the main thing. As long as Caesar is Lord, worship any other little G God that you want to. That's fine with Caesar. He's not worried about it because really what he wants is his tax money. And so if Caesar is Lord, what Caesar wants, you're going to do. So Caesar's looking for that loyalty. The Thessalonians showed that loyalty, and the city was rewarded with this tax-exempt status. Well, if you know anything about Jesus' followers, the followers of the way, as they were called back then, there's one statement that they wouldn't make. And that's that Caesar is Lord, because for them, Jesus was the only Lord. And to declare anything else would be blasphemous. To declare anything else would be to turn their back on God himself. And so they wouldn't do it. And so the, the Jewish Thessalonians were actually getting pretty upset because here's these Christians who are now threatening our tax exemption status. Now, if you suddenly are afraid that you're going to have to start paying taxes and you haven't been paying taxes and you know those taxes are expensive, you're going to try to drive out the problem. And that's exactly what happened. And so they tried to drive uh, Paul out of the city and they actually do it. Uh, Paul has to kind of escape uh, with his life and be sent out of Thessal Thessalonica so that he can uh, continue his ministry. But the church there uh, remains. And so Paul has this deep love for the Thessalonian church. And we see that in both of the letters just communicated beautifully, that Paul really loved these people, and he wanted the best for them. He wanted to continue to kind of guide them in their relationship with Christ. And so that's why he's writing these two letters. He's encouraging them to remember the things that he taught them previously. Uh, and these things that uh, Paul himself, while he was there, that he would do, he wants the Thessalonians to continue to do those things as well so that they can live in a way that will please God. 
And so he's reminding them of all these things. Uh, but uh, he, he talks about what would happen when Jesus would return. Because apparently that was something that they talked about while Paul was there in Thessalonica. And it kind of caught the ear of a lot of the Thessalonian Christians. And so it led to this kind of tension where people uh, started to live a certain way as though Christ had already returned. And they were afraid that they missed the return of Jesus. And so Paul kind of writes to correct that in 1 Thessalonians. But then some more false teaching gets out there. And so Paul has to write again in 2 Thessalonians to say, no, 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 no. Jesus hasn't come back yet. If he would have come back, you would know it. It would change everything for you. Don't worry. And then as Jack uh, finished up last week in Thessalonians, uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he, he encourages them, in spite of all this that you're hearing, what, here's what's important. Stand firm in the traditions that you've been taught. Stand firm in the, in the faith. And Jesus will take care of the rest. And that's where we're at tonight as we finish up uh, the final chapter in the book in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, we kind of get to see Paul's instructions as he wraps up uh, this beautiful letter to the Thessalonian church. And so we'll be reading tonight in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, we'll read the whole chapter of chapter 3. Uh, but if you want to join with me, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 to start with. All these notes, of course, as always, are in the, the, the app. Uh, if you open the Bible app and look for Element City Church under the events, it's there. Uh, also, the church, uh, the church app itself, I believe, has the notes in there too, a link if you want to follow along. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And so here we are, these last uh, few verses of chapter 2. Uh, Paul encourages the Thessalonians, stand firm in the faith. And now he begins uh, this passage saying, and pray for us. We need your prayer. Pray that the gospel would go forth from the message that we have. Pray that we wouldn't be hindered and all that. Uh, uh, but what's really important here is Paul's already reiterating what are the traditions that he wants the Thessalonians to continue to stand firm in. And that first one right there, it's prayer. He wants them to pray. And really, if you were here last week, we talked about traditions. What traditions do we want to maintain? What traditions do we maybe need to let go of? And so tonight, I really wanted to just kind of finish up what chapter 2 is talking about, but then look here in chapter 3 uh, on what traditions Paul might be referring to. We see he's talking about prayer, um, but what other things would the Thessalonian church have been encouraged to do? 
And so I spent some time this week looking, what did the early church fathers preach? What was it that the the apostles encouraged the disciples to do? And in looking at that, I think that we're going to see five things uh, tonight. We're going to see five things that if you want to grow in your discipleship, if you want to grow in your spiritual formation, in your ability to follow after Jesus, I think if you do these five things, you're going to get right. And I think you're going to see this beautiful holiness that develops within you. And you're going to start to see uh, just as God gets to work in your life. And it's going to be great. And so what are these traditions? We already know the first one, prayer. Because Paul's saying, pray for us. Now, can you imagine, let's say one of your greatest mentors in the faith. Somebody, uh, most of us have a hero in the faith. Somebody who like they loved us into where we are today in our relationship with God. Can you imagine if this is, that person is just like, hey, I need your prayer. What would you do? How would you feel in that moment? Man, you'd pray for them, wouldn't you? What an honor it would be if the, the very people who brought faith into your life, who, who taught you the ways of following Jesus, if they had that humility to come back to you and say, hey, I need your prayer. That'd be a big deal, wouldn't it? I think Paul knew that. I think Paul understands that uh, it's important for the Thessalonians to continue in prayer. We know that because at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, he says the very words, pray without ceasing. Uh, G.K. Beale said this. He said, nothing can blunt a church's effectiveness at spreading the gospel more than having a church filled with people who are not really Christians. In addition to the existence of pseudo-believers in Paul's churches, there are likely true Christians so influenced by false teaching that they have no concern to be witnesses. Contemporary Christians may also lose their zeal for the unevangelized because of the distraction of of false teaching, the lack of continually confronting themselves with God's word, the presence of unconfessed sin, or the mere ignorance that prayer is the power that propels the effective advance of the gospel in the world. Man, I read that this week, and I just, wow. It tore me apart. Like, how often do we buy into these messages around us that, that just distract us to the point where we stop remembering what it's really all about? And I don't want to find myself standing before Jesus and finding out that I'm a pseudo-believer because I can't even do the first thing here that Paul's saying, and that's just pray, to be connected with God in conversation. You think about this idea here uh, that, one, we want to be passionate about the gospel and the way that Jesus has changed our lives. We should want others' lives to be changed in a similar fashion, shouldn't we? And so Paul is encouraging the church to pray for him and to pray for the gospel so that would spread uh, forth and that others could experience the very grace that the Thessalonian church experienced as well. And so in our prayer, we should pray for the spread of the gospel. We should pray for missionaries who bring the gospel message to the nations. And many of us think that maybe there's not much that we have to offer to the church, if we're being honest. Uh, Some of us don't quite know where our strengths are, what our gifts are. And I'm here to tell you, first and foremost, even when you feel that you have nothing else to offer to the church, you always have your prayers. You can always be the saint that everyone can rely on to pray for them. Because as as G.K. Beelman said, it's the very power that propels the advance of the gospel. 
James says that the prayer of a righteous person has great effect uh, while it's working. There's so much uh, in our culture that tells us uh, that prayer maybe isn't as important as we might think it is. In fact, uh, a tragedy happens, and it's not hard to go onto Twitter and find the people who get snarky when people say that their prayers are with the victims or their prayers are with somebody. And people are like, yeah, give me something more than that. And that breaks my heart. Because as a church, we've allowed that type of a thing to happen where maybe we've lost sight of how powerful prayer is to the point that uh, we don't see great things happening. We don't see as much happening when we pray because we're just simply not the praying type. And yet prayer is how we communicate with God. That's our very lifeline to him. If we know that we live in a spiritual battle, that, that the, the war that we face in this uh, life on earth as Christians, as followers of Jesus, if we know that we battle against those who are not of flesh and blood, we know that we have a spiritual battle, as Paul says, then prayers are very walkie-talkie that communi- uh, allows us to communicate with headquarters. And that's what we need to stay uh, in communion, in, in focus with God and what it is that he has for us, what it is he wants us to do. Because prayer is what actually changes and shapes our heart and gives us the ability to follow and accomplish and know God's will. And not only that, prayer uh, is what helps us create a pattern of repentance so that even in moments where we know that we've dropped the ball, where we've messed up, we can admit that to God. We can agree with him that what we did was sin. And then we can say, God, move us back the other direction. Help us to follow after you. There's so much that we can get if we would invest our lives into being prayerful people. And prayer, uh, here's what's difficult. It forces us to slow down to live an unhurried life. It's so easy to go moment to moment to moment to moment to moment. How many of you felt that this week with Thanksgiving? Where it was just one thing after another. Like especially Thanksgiving Day. If you're the one preparing the meal, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where it's just you've got to pre-plan the day and you've got to get everything ready to go. But it's just you can, you can be so focused on the moment to moment that we, we lose sight of the fact that we just need to stop sometimes and just be We don't need to be distracted. We don't need to be glued to our phones. We just need moments where we can stop and breathe and experience rest. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's what prayer helps us to accomplish in our lives. The second tradition here, if you hold to this, uh, that will help you in growing in your spiritual formation, it's applying God's word. It's applying God's word. We've gotta know the word. Yes, that's important. Because uh, we want to know who Jesus is. We want to know how Jesus thinks. We want to know how he acts. Uh, God preserved his holy scriptures for us to be able to engage them, to know his heart and to know his thoughts and to know what it is he wants us to do. Uh, But it's not just enough to read the word. It's not just enough to know the word. It doesn't matter if we know those things if we're not applying the word to our lives. And so that's the second thing here, that we need to take God's word and know it, but then the things that we learn from it, we need to actually put it into practice. That's what Paul's uh, encouragement was in in verse 4, right? Was the things that you've been commanded, put them into practice, continue to do them as I know that you're already doing these things. And why is this so important? Uh, A commentator uh, that I read was given the example of when he and his wife first got married, 
that they had this thing that uh, for Christmas, he always would buy her uh, something from an antique shop. They went into an antique shop on a date, and so he learned that his wife really loved antiques. And so uh, he started to go to these antique shops anytime it was Christmas or her birthday, and he'd get her a gift. And he said those first couple of years of marriage, he realized that she wasn't really very excited about the gift. And he was like, oh, man, there's that kind of deflated feeling. And yet what he said is as time progressed, and he got you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years into his marriage, he finally knew what to buy for her from the antique shop. And he'd get her something and she would light up. Why? Because he knew his wife. It took time to get to know her thoughts, to be able to think the way that she would think, to be able to appreciate the things that she appreciates herself. And once he was able to do that, he was able to get her gifts, not just that he wanted to give, but to give her gifts that she wanted to receive that would bring her joy. That's the heart that we want to have in knowing God's word. That God is not hiding anywhere. He's not keeping himself at a distance. He's not some mystery that we need to figure out. He has made known who he is and invites us into this relationship with him. And he has shown us what it is that he wants from us. And so when we get into God's word, when we begin to apply God's word to our lives, it enables us to think God's thoughts, to know the things that make God happy so that we can give him the gifts that he desires to receive. The third thing here, uh, and this one isn't in the text, but this is something that was traditionally done uh, by the church, by the early church. The third thing is fasting. If you devote yourself to fasting and maintain the tradition of fasting. In fact, the early church, man, they would fast twice a week. Uh, if you read, uh, it's an extra biblical text called the Didache. If you read that, they actually recommend that you would fast on Wednesdays and Fridays. And that's to this day where if you look at the Catholic church, they still fast on Fridays, uh, maintaining that tradition that the early church fathers had set. And so what does fasting do? Fasting reminds us that we're reliant uh, on God for more in our life than just eating food. We need God himself. We need his very life and his very breath breathed into us. We need to be connected to him uh, so that we uh, can, can thrive and we can experience the abundant life that is promised us in Scripture if we remain vitally united to Christ. And so fasting is a way that just points our heart back to God. It points us back to saying, Jesus, I need you more than I need food. I need to be connected to you, to know your will and to know your thoughts, God, more than I need to eat. And so uh, it's a hard rhythm to get into. That's not something that we all uh, do very frequently in the Protestant church especially. But um, man, just get this into maybe once a month. I think that's a simple way to start. If you can create the rhythm of once a month, just I'm going to take a day so that I can fast to be connected to the Lord. It would be amazing what you see on the other side of that. And the fourth thing is this. It's confession. The fourth tradition that uh, has been held uh, by the church from the very beginning is the, the process of confession. And so what is confession? We actually did a worship night around this word over the summer uh, because to confess, it literally just means to agree. That's really what it is, to agree. And so when I confess, what I'm actually doing is I'm agreeing with God that the things that I did were sinful in prayer. And I'm saying, God, I don't want to do these things anymore. I want to make you happy. 
And so we can do that in prayer, but to, to really confess well, what we need to do is we need to confess to others. We need people who love us, but aren't impressed with us. We need those types of friends who can hear the, the, the very darkest thoughts that you have and not get judgmental about it, but they just love you through that. And they want to see you at your best. And so it's the type of person that you can come to and just be honest with where you're at and where you're struggling and invite them to pray for you. There's an interesting um, passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we skip over in the church very often. This is actually right in the section when Paul is talking about how to properly take communion. Uh, But this little verse says this. It says, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And here's what he means by that. If we would take the things that we've done and truly take account for what it is that we've done and judge those things and say, man, was that the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? If we would do that, we would not be judged when we come to the Father. Why? I think it's because when we have the mind of Christ, when we've done these other things, when we know how God thinks, we're now able to see the things that we've done that have offended a holy God. And because we see that, we're able to turn away from that in repentance. But to help us in that process of repentance, we recognize that we need somebody to hold us accountable. That's what confession allows you to do. It allows you to get that person in your life that when you need accountability, when you need to find freedom from the thing that just grips you, that has you in bondage, you need somebody that you can turn to, someone that you can be honest with that will help you through all of that. Steve Cuss says it this way. He says that we name it to tame it. That's what confession allows you to do. It allows you to name the thing that you're thinking or the thing that you've done in order that you can start to find freedom so that you can tame uh, those things that it is that you want to do, that you know go against what God wants you to do. And so what's the last tradition here? The last tradition Paul sets up really well. Uh, in this passage in 2 Thessalonians 3, and it's this. I I really struggled with how to phrase this, uh, this last one, so we're just going to keep it simple. Work heartily. Work heartily. At first, it was work hard, but I think that there's a way that we can work hard, and sometimes we work so hard that we ignore the things that matter. And then it was, well, let's work well, but that sounds boring. So work heartily. There you go. Work heartily, because God cares how we work. God wants us to work with integrity. Paul did that, and Paul even calls it out. Verse 7, he said, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we weren't idle when we were with you. We didn't eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we didn't have the right, but because we wanted to give you an example in ourselves to imitate. There's another passage in Scripture. It's actually my favorite verse in all of Scripture. I think this is the most freeing verse in the Bible. Because it's so easy for us to think that we don't have something to offer. You can look at someone like Jack. You could look at someone like uh, me because we're paid Christians, right? Like we're the professional Christians who are paid to get up here to talk about Scripture. And you might be sitting in a small group with people, maybe when you were younger, and you're hearing people as you're getting ready to pray, and people are like, man, I want to be a missionary, or I'm going to be a worship leader, or I want to be a pastor. And you're just like... I just want to run a business. (laughs) That's it. 
I just, man, I love business. I love numbers. I know how these numbers work. And it's just, it's so exciting to me to, to, to have this business and to build the clientele and to make the connections with people and to provide a product that people get excited about. Maybe that was you and, and you get a little bit deflated because you hear the dreams and the desires that other people have to make an impact for the kingdom of God. And I'm here to tell you tonight, you can do that where you are. God intended for you to be able to do that where you are. God doesn't need a world full of pastors. He doesn't need a world full of worship leaders because they're not the ones who are going to lead the world to Christ. They're going to lead some people to Christ. They might lead more than others. But what's going to win the world to Jesus is when mechanics get to work next to their fellow mechanics And that person does their job with integrity. They do it well. They work hard. And when the person next to them is like, man, you just, you seem to have it together. What's going on? In that moment, you're able to say, well, let me just tell you, it's crazy. Uh, But this guy, Jesus, has gotten a hold of my life. And so when I work, I work for him. And I want to do the things that I do to honor him and to bring him glory. And as I've done that, man, he's just taking care of me. And that verse that I'm talking about, Colossians 3.17, here's the freeing verse. This is what it says. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice that. Whatever you do, and as if that's not clear enough, he even adds, in word or deed. There's not much outside of that, folks. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Skipping down a few verses further in Colossians 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. When I used to work at Apple, uh, we would occasionally put little videos together for people who are new with the company. And we'd give advice to people who are going to be stepping into uh, kind of the entry-level roles. Uh, and, and so being in the role that I was in, I was a, a genius. I know it's the most pretentious retail title that you can have. Um, but that was my job title, genius. Um, And it was a position that people wanted to work their way up to because uh, back when I started, you got this free trip out to Cupertino usually for three weeks, and it was like they paid for everything. You had 75 bucks a day to pay for food. And so if you budgeted that right, which Dan and I did, like you could go to places like Fogo de Chao and you would eat for free because the company's repaying you. Uh, And it was great. We had such, man, it was a good time. Uh, But I remember one of those videos uh, one time when they came to me like, hey, what would you say to someone who's new and who wants to work your way into the, or work their way into your position. And for me, it was, it was this. I said, uh, something to the effect of, you have to find something within you that motivates you to want to do your job well. Because uh, this company is going to let you down. There's going to be decisions that they make that you don't like. Your managers, they're going to let you down. They're going to make decisions that you don't like, that you're going to get frustrated with. And it'd be really easy to do your job sarcastically in that moment. How many of you have noticed that? Like sometimes you go to places and people do their job. It's like they're almost sarcastic about how they have to do their job. Man, young people, here's free advice. If you're under the age of 30, be friendly, be outgoing, and uh, just work hard. And you're going to stand out amongst your peers. Because so many people are just there to punch a clock. 
And so anyway, back to what I would, would say in the video. I, I said, you have to find something that motivates you. I found that. And so even on hard days, what motivates me is bigger than anything this company could ever give me. That's what drives me to do my best each and every day. That's the idea. That's what Paul is encouraging the church with here, that uh, we need to not discount the value of doing our job with integrity for the cause of Christ. Because when you recognize that you work for Jesus, that your very work is an act of worship that gets to ascribe value to the God that you worship, the God that you love, you'll be amazed at the doors that will eventually open for you when you are just consistent at doing your job well, at doing it with integrity, at doing it by working heartily for the, for the Lord. And why do we do it? Uh, verse 5 tells us there, uh, Paul says that, and it, it kind of it's parallel to verse 13 as well. So let's read 2 Thessalonians, uh, we'll read 13 through 15. It says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. But notice that first part. As for you, brothers, don't grow weary in doing good. Verse five said this. It said, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Do you see the parallelism there? Verse five, the steadfastness of Christ. Verse 13, don't grow weary in doing good. Christ was able to endure He knew what he needed to do, and so he had that steadfastness, that patience that allowed him to endure. And that's what we need ourselves, to not grow weary in doing good. And so we follow the model of Christ in all that we do. But reading verses 14 and 15, you're kind of like, all right, Paul, getting a little harsh again, buddy. What's going on here? Do you have a bad day? Right? He's encouraging us to distance ourselves from those who aren't faithful to the proper teaching. In fact, earlier in the passage, Paul chides them and calls them busybodies. It's like, man, these folks are busybodies. Don't have anything to do with them. In fact, if they don't work, they don't get to eat. Now hear me. Some of you are unable to work. That's a very different thing than being unwilling to work. And so some translations in the text, they'll make sure if anyone's not willing to work, let them not eat. That's what it'll say. Um, So if you're one of those who can't work, this isn't you, all right? Because the church exists to help you, actually. The reality is all of us are going to get knocked down when it comes to life. There's just times that you get knocked down and you get right back up and you keep going, right? And we're able to do that. But it feels like sometimes in life you get back up and what happens? It's like life has already loaded up another haymaker and just flattens you. It's going to happen. There's going to come a period where we're all in need where we all need our church family to come around us and to help us. That's okay. And so don't hear this passage tonight and think, man, I always have to provide for myself, and if I can't provide for myself and I ever have to accept anything from one of my brothers or sisters in Christ, that I have failed. You have not, okay? The church exists to come around you in moments like that. That's okay. It's different, though, when it's somebody who just always wants to kind of prey upon the good graces of others. That's what Paul's warning against. In fact, contextually, uh, it would seem that there were people who were so convinced that Christ had already returned that they actually stopped working and began to freeload off of the rest of the church in Thessalonica. And so Paul's careful to call out their behavior uh, and to encourage the Thessalonians to follow a better way. 
And so uh, it may seem a little harsh when Paul says, distance yourself from people like this. But what we said this a couple weeks back. When it seems a little harsh, what do we do? We don't get offended right away. We get curious. We've got to get curious. And so the first question I would ask is, well, has Paul said something like this before? Where else has Paul maybe suggested uh, something similar? And so you look pretty quickly. It wasn't hard to find. In 1 Corinthians, Paul actually uh, addresses, some, uh, or addresses things in a similar way. He says this in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 7. He says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. And you're like, whoa, what's with the bread talk, Lyle? I get it. Uh, really, he goes on further. 1 Corinthians 15.33 simply says this. Um, bad company corrects good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. We, we know how this works, okay? So, yeah, uh, when you surround yourself with people who aren't pursuing the same things that you're pursuing, what happens? Either you're going to have an impact on them or they're going to have an impact on you. But when you're surrounded by mostly people who don't have the same purpose that you have, it's going to affect you. It's going to slow you down. It's going to pull you back and keep you from pursuing the things of Christ. From these five things, if you were to devote yourself to those five things, but surround yourself with people uh, who, who don't want to help you in that, it's going to be difficult to do any of them. And so the picture is very intentional. Paul, uh, when he's talking about leaven, it's really that's yeast. When he's talking about yeast in a lump of bread, um, what do we know about yeast when you mix it into dough? It has a disproportionate effect based on the size of the yeast that goes into the the dough. It has a disproportionate effect on the the resulting uh, loaf or on the resulting lump of dough itself. And so to be unleavened, Paul's really saying that we're in Christ, and because we're in Christ, we've been cleansed of sin. And so we don't have yeast within us. We don't have anything contaminating us so long as we're confessing and maintaining that pattern of repentance uh, in our lives. And uh, so because we've been made holy before God by the blood of Jesus, we need to keep the leaven out of the dough in order to be set apart as one who belongs to God. Here's a, a little bit of a different picture. How many of you remember when you were a kid? Did any of you have a, a friend that your parents were usually like, hey, stay away from that person. They're no good for you. There's a couple chuckles, yeah? A couple people? Yeah. If Some of you aren't raising your hands. You were that friend, weren't you? I know it. That's why you're not. Okay. I'm on to you. That's fine. Well, I definitely had that friend as well. Uh, and I don't want to name him. I doubt he would be streaming this, but man, if he did, I don't want to break his heart tonight. But when I was in sixth grade, uh, I had a friend uh, that just, man, it, we got in so much trouble and it was so much fun. Um, and yet there were also some pretty sketchy moments where I could have gotten into even more trouble. Uh, but it was definitely the kid that my parents were like, hey, this isn't probably the smartest person for you to spend time with. And I didn't care because he just lived on the other side of the neighborhood and we could just go have adventures. In fact, the only time I ever got called to the principal's office when I was in elementary school was in sixth grade. And it was because this kid and I, uh, when recess would start, would actually ditch the playground and we would sneak off into the breezeway. And down by the library, there, were, uh, there was the library, but there weren't other buildings. And so we just have a rock fight. And so we're just sitting here chucking rocks like dumb sixth graders do, you know, uh, pegging each other every now and then. And even one of the days he like, he actually picked up like one of the river rocks and like I peek around this corner and like a river rock is thrown at me, right? 
should not be hanging around this kid if he's throwing river rocks at me. And yet a teacher heard that one, and that's when we finally got pulled into the principal's office. Uh, That's not even mentioning the one time that we set like a 10-foot section of a brick wall on fire while walking to school. Um, But yes, uh, had that friend myself that it was just like, yeah, this is probably not the best person to be friends with. What's the point? So often we treat sin like the friend that we were told to stay away from. We forget that scripture tells us that we have an enemy that roars around like a, like a roaring lion waiting to devour you. That's what that sin is, that we want to be friends with that. And so we think that we can keep our friendship with sin a secret and we might keep it in hiding. But what we're forgetting is that what, while it may seem like kind of a cute little cub at first, that thing is going to grow up into something that is waiting to devour us. When we continue to associate ourselves with sin, we're going to find ourselves eaten alive. And it may may be cute, it may be fun, but I promise you it's not worth it on the other side. And Paul knows that. That's why Paul's saying you have to distance yourself from these folks. But notice Paul's heart there. His heart is not to judge and to condemn those people. He even specifically calls it out at the end of 15. He says, don't regard these people as our enemies. Warn them as our brothers and sisters because we want the best for all people. If we as Christians claim to follow Jesus, it should be no secret that we believe following Christ is the path to human flourishing. And so we have to sometimes distance ourselves from people who keep us from doing the very thing that God created us to do, and that's to bring glory to him with the way that we live our lives. And maybe you're the person that Paul's calling out in this passage. Maybe you're reading through that and you're just like, gosh, this one stings tonight. That's okay. That's okay. And it's okay to not be okay. I need you to know that. I want you to know that. We're a church that's meant to be for the broken to be able to come in so that we can hear what we need to hear in God's word and be challenged by that. And so... If you find yourself to be that person, Paul just wants you to be warned by what it is that you've experienced. And he's calling you to hold fast to the healthy traditions that the early church fathers established that has been proven time and time again, generation after generation, to help people grow in their spiritual formation and their journey after Christ. And so start taking the steps tonight that will enable you to focus on those five things that we've mentioned. What do you need to do to begin to create a rhythm of prayer in your life? What do you need to do to read the word more so that you can begin to apply it? Can you begin to fast once a month to spend some extra time in prayer? Can you find someone close to you that you trust that you can establish a healthy accountability relationship with so that you can confess your sin to them? And the one that all of us can do, we can work hard. We can change our focus and our attitude towards the way that we do our job so that we're working with integrity. But as you begin to implement those things, watch how the Lord begins to work in your life and restore joy to you. But finally, Paul kind of reiterates his entire goal in writing uh, to the Thessalonians with his closing benediction. And so verses 16 through 18 in chapter 3 say, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Notice, Paul wants peace for the Thessalonians. But most of all, how does Paul end that letter? 
He always brings it back to the gospel. Paul always sees that it's the gospel that holds all of this together. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. It's the grace of the Lord that holds it together because nowhere was the grace of Jesus more evident than when he died on the cross for our sins. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, as Paul said. But he laid down his life to satisfy the justice of God in order that we might be able to experience the mercy of God, to be reunited in relationship with him. And so that grace is available to all of us tonight. And that's what we need to live in. Let's pray. Father, thanks for these uh, last few months as we've been able to walk through these two books of the Bible. And I pray, Jesus, that um, just that it wouldn't be in vain, God. Your word says that when it goes out, it doesn't go out in vain. And so I, I just pray that we would be able to each uh, each person who's here tonight, who's tuning in online, to think back over the last few months and, and to figure out, man, what do I need to begin to apply in my life? I know for me, uh, just this call to prayer, uh, to pray without ceasing, that's been something that's been in the back of my mind uh, for a year now that I want to grow in. And I know that I'm not doing as well as I want to do in that. And so I thank you just for uh, the brothers in my life that I can confess that to, that I can work on that with, uh, because I do want to commune with you. I want to have a better relationship with you where I turn to you quickly in each and every moment to just give you glory, to give you praise, to ponder situations, to think whatever it is. God, I want to grow in my prayer life. And wherever it is that the folks who are sitting here tonight, wherever it is that you're kind of poking at their heart, God, would you give them the courage just to respond to that? It's so easy to sit in a moment and maybe be challenged by something, but God, I pray that we would have the courage and the conviction to carry through with what you're doing right now. That tomorrow morning when we wake up, that we would think about it again. And on Tuesday, we would do the same. On Wednesday, we would do the same because we wanna create the right habits that will enable us to be formed into the image of your son, Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so God, have your way in this time. Speak to us. Help us see where you're calling us uh, to move forward with a little bit of change in our life so that we can be more like you, so we can follow after you just a little bit better. That's our heart. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
just the, the heart behind that song, that we can continue to run toward God, whatever season we're in, whatever our week holds. And uh, as Lyle mentioned, um, the last couple months going through First and Second Thessalonians, I don't, we've never taught through that book before, those books before, and I hope it's been a fun journey for you. And maybe, as you mentioned, maybe there's one thing out of the last couple months that you feel like God's just kind of been tapping you on the heart tapping you on the shoulder and say, hey, let's work on this. Let's let's work on this. Whatever this might be for you, I just invite you, we invite you to lean into that. Not, not just let it go by and go, that was nice. Thanks, God, for the whisper. But actually lean into that. 
God, what would it look like to, to work on prayer? What would it look like to, to work on, maybe it was one of those five things that I mentioned tonight. Maybe it's something we mentioned even a few weeks ago. Whatever that might be for you, that's, that's your next step. We talk a lot around here about everyone taking their next step. Friend, that's your next step. And that's the next step Jesus is inviting you into to follow him because we're all called to be a follower of Jesus. And that's going to be different steps and different paces and different places for different people. And so that that is your next step to lean into. So, uh, again, thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for tuning in online. Just a quick reminder. Um, Financial Peace University, we're going to start up in January. And so if you are looking for a, it's a nine-week experience on Wednesday nights uh, from 6, uh, 6 p.m. to 7.30. We're going to have a class here. Uh, if you're just looking to kind of ha- maybe have a better financial footing going into 2023, I just highly encourage you. It's not the perfect system, and it's not about the system. It's about just trying to maybe have a common language and a common understanding as a single, as maybe a young couple, as a, a, an older married couple, uh, whatever that you might be. Uh, I think this could get uh, some good spiritual conversations for you. And then December 11th, uh, we're going to have an after party, cookies and cocoa in the courtyard right after here. I encourage you to stick around for that. We are also going to be filming uh, a little bit. We have our 10-year uh, anniversary coming up in January. And so here's what I'm going to ask you. Uh, in a couple weeks, we're looking for a few of you, if you'd like to share, hey, I've been a part of Elements for maybe it's one year, maybe it's 10 years, whatever it may be in that. How would you sum up your experience being a part of Elements in three words? How would you sum that up? What uh, is there a story that you'd like to share? We're looking to film a few people. We'll, sh- we'll kind of edit that together, put that together for January 8th when we celebrate that together. Uh, and then Christmas Eve, we're doing Christmas Eve services, two services, 4 and 6 p.m. They're identical. Pick the one you want to come to. And we do have a giant inflatable snow globe where your family can get a picture in a snow globe. We won't pick it up and shake it with you in it because you're too big, and we can't do that. Um, so, but it'll be fun to get a family picture there. We're going to have a great time. We'll be with Emmanuel and Elements doing Christmas Eve service together. Uh, this will be the fifth or sixth year in a row doing that. And so we invite you to make plans for that either 4 or 6 p.m. And tonight, dinner is at La Priya Suiza uh, off of Speedway. And so, again, if you want to hang out with some folks that go out to dinner afterwards, La Priya Suiza is where we're heading. We'll be there in about 20 minutes or so. And if you're new, I'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party in the back. Let me kind of pray a blessing over us. God, may we be a people who continually take next steps with you, Jesus. And so would you whisper what that might be for us and that we would have the courage empowered by you to step into that with you and to walk with you as you retrain us and reshape us and refresh us to be more and more like you. I pray your blessing over our friends watching tonight, those of you in the room. May you go with them this week until we gather again in e-group or gather again here next Sunday. We pray a blessing over them in Jesus' name. Friends, bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. If you're new, I'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party.